Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Why, hello there. To receive each episode of Sacred Symbols three days earlier than the public, totally ad-free. To have your questions, comments, and concerns read on the air. To hear your name in the end credits. And to score other cool perks. Please consider supporting this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Not only will your subscription net you benefits for Sacred Symbols and allow this show to continue into the future, but those benefits also carry over to other CLS shows too, including the video game-centric YouTube show SideQuest, the retro and nostalgia-themed podcast Knockback, and the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats. In other words, you're getting insane bang for your buck. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and CLS couldn't and wouldn't exist. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 19. My name is Colin Moriarty. As always, I'm joined by... Are you wearing a pink shirt? It looks- I don't know what color this shirt is, but I'm fascinated by the fact that I can't figure it out. It's yeah. like orange, but it's also red, but it's also pink. Yeah, it looks pink in this... Uh, I don't know what... Anyway, Chris Raygun. Chris, how is your life? Uh, it's, I'm doing all right, you yeah. know? I just recently kind of like got sick of just wasting my time on Twitter. Yeah. I was looking... At, you know how on uh, most phones it'll tell you like your battery usage? Yeah, yeah. And Twitter was like eight hours. I had eight hours in a single day staring at Twitter, having Twitter open in some capacity. And I was like, I'm going to stop. It's a good idea. Twitter <laughs> I'm going to just stop this. It has so much utility. 
and that's what's so disappointing about it. Twitter can be and often is so useful, but it's just become so toxic. Actually, we're going to talk a little bit about something that has nothing to do with PlayStation about this whole Diablo thing that's going on because I want to get your if you have any take on it at all. What happened? Right, yeah. But I want to talk a little bit about it. But social media has contributed so much to the toxicity. And right before we started, I saw someone tweet out a story being like, you know. Jason Schreier from Kotaku said this in his story and someone quote tweeted and said this is a disaster and I went and read the story and I'm like it doesn't say that at all yeah I saw that I saw that exact thing just doesn't say that like I just read it doesn't at all say what it said you said it said (laughs) this thing has a bunch of retweets and likes no one actually reads anything so I don't blame you for staying away I've often said that if it wasn't so tied into my business and kind of me as a personality as well oh yeah I don't know that I'd be on social media at all. You know, I'd yeah, be in the woods I'd, somewhere. I'd probably just have YouTube and maybe a, a private Facebook just so I can keep in touch with family that I don't really want to see all that much. You know, it's enough effort when it's your birthday on Facebook. I say happy birthday. And that's that's the long yeah. and the short of it for me. And <laughs> yeah, this exactly. year. That's the long and the short of it. Well, it's good to have you here today, Chris. Sorry to keep you waiting. I was in a state of a bit of unpreparedness today as we recorded or as we were getting ready to record, I had to get a few things in line. So I appreciate your patience on that. No worries. And I appreciate, obviously, everyone listening to our show each week. Sacred Symbols, of course, is a PlayStation-centric podcast. You can get it three days early, ad-free, on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Other cool perks there. We are driving on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand to 5,000 and beyond, hopefully, patrons this month. So please join us. If you have $1, $2, $5 a month, whatever you have to spare, if you have anything to spare, please join us. Get your perks. Get your early and ad-free access. Get your ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, because otherwise we ignore completely what you have to say about it. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting perks. Of course, we don't really ignore you, but we like to give a lot of love to our patrons over there, and we appreciate your support as our show grows and as all the other Collins Last Stand products grow as well alongside of it. I want to thank you for that. Now, Chris... I don't have too many specifics about this yet, but I want to lay the groundwork right this week that I think Sacred Symbols is going to be moving feeds because mm-hmm. we're going to get involved with basically a company that's going to help us sell some ads and kind of find a new audience and cultivate. And I've I've often said no to opportunities only in the last few months for Sacred Symbols. None of them are right. This particular partnership is with someone that I've known for a long time and trust a great deal. And I think this is going to be good for our show. You shouldn't see, uh, you guys listening to this, any differences. If everything goes according to plan, the show on the same feed will go up as it does. On Patreon, you're obviously not going to see any differences whatsoever. We'll have more specifics about this next week, but the ideal is that you will, and the assumption is that you will see no differences whatsoever, really, in terms of how the product is given to you and how you download it and stuff. But if there are any issues, obviously, you can always let me know on Twitter and we'll look into that because sometimes there are hitches as these things happen. And I was real paranoid about this, Chris. I was real paranoid. I'm like, you know, we're on SoundCloud. I don't really want to move. It seems like a whole big to do. It's apparently very simple and like totally <laughs> painless. Well, well, yeah, I know. I understand yeah, your neuroses about it, though. About everything. You should have heard me on the phone with these people. Like the granular <laughs> level of questions that I was asking about this. And they're like, dude, it's really not a big deal. It's going to be great for your show and great for your audience and great to expand your audience. So nothing really changes for you guys out there. I think that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. We'll obviously keep you abreast about that. But if you see any hiccups along the way, let us know. Otherwise, you're subscribed to the feed you need to be subscribed to because it should all work because of what is called, apparently, a 301 redirect. Yeah, it it just works. I don't get it. I don't understand technology. I understand technology about as well as like my 68-year-old mother understands technology. She keeps saying her phone doesn't work. Every time... I see her for the last 10 years. Her phone doesn't work. Something's wrong with her phone. And the last time it was that she couldn't get her phone to make any noise. And and even I solved that problem in, you know, half a minute. Now, Chris, also, we were supposed to do a Red Dead Redemption 
centric or Red Dead Redemption 2 centric podcast this week. You and I have decided to punt that to next week because we're just not ready. I don't want to rush through the game. I'm still in like the fifth chapter, I think. And so we're going to record that next week. So that will go live, you know, I don't know, 10 days from the time that we're recording this. Yeah. Which is a pretty nebulous and meaningless day. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a long game. I think it'll, it's probably better off that it's later on because I, th- I don't think the majority of people are finished with it either. Exactly. That's what I was thinking about. I didn't feel that guilty about it because I'm like, well, I played it for about 40 hours before it came out. And most people have jobs and all these kinds of things. I've only been able to put another 10 or 15 hours into it since it's come out. So normal people couldn't have gotten that much further in it. Yeah. And I've noticed that on our Spider-Man episode, for those of you that are unaware, we did a Spider-Man centric episode of Sacred Symbols, a special episode. People are still going back and listening to that constantly. So it'll be there for you when you're ready. Don't obviously listen to it if you've not beaten the game or don't care about spoilers. We're going to get pretty deep into it. Again, you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to a thread that already exists on Patreon for this topic. We've already gotten a bunch of submissions. We will let you guys drive the focus of the podcast. So continue submitting. And yeah, Chris and I will be ready to go next week on that. Chris, there's also I wanted to throw out there before we get any further. There's a really awesome PlayStation Plus deal going on right now. With double discounts for PlayStation Plus subscribers. Yeah, what is that? I don't know what the nature of it is, like why they're doing this or if it's actually that above and beyond the normal sales because I usually chime in, but I did buy $85 worth of games this weekend because of it. So I wanted to let everyone know. I bought Assassin's Creed Triple Pack, Black Flag, Unity, and Syndicate. Okay. $35.99. Not bad. City Skyline, the full edition, $19.99. Swap Quest, which is this kind of like mobile-centric, you know, puzzle RPG, $0.99. Tacoma. Which is right. the new game from the Gone Home guys, seven ninety nine. Tumblestone is this Tetris like game I got for four ninety nine. Dragon Age Inquisition Game of the Year Edition full game and add on content, nine ninety nine. Whoa, that's pretty good. And nineteen seventy nine Revolution Black Friday, which is this game about the Iranian Revolution, this adventure game that looks really really good, five ninety nine. So you guys should go check out those deals. And that's those pretty nuts. I didn't know about that until I read the thing. I'm quite excited about it. Actual flavor wrote into us, Chris, at Patreon. and <laughs> Actual, like the concept of flavor? Yeah, the actual us? concept of flavor wrote into us on Patreon. As you guys know, you guys can submit your questions, comments, concerns on threads that are put up every week for every episode. And this is how we, let's say, populate our episodes with yeah. your thoughts. He says, yo, C-squared, just curious with the December and some much-deserved R&R right around the corner. What games from the backlog do you plan on taking a stab at this holiday season? Do you ever get games that intentionally not play them until you know you're going to have the free time to just dive in? As always, thanks for doing what you do. Are, these are some of my backlog games, so I'm curious what you're going to do as we kind of taper off for a little while in December. Yeah, I don't know. I think I want to get through Hitman because I played it for a little bit, but th- that game requires so much focus from me. I don't know what it is. And you're talking about the 2016 Hitman. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. I got the, uh, I believe they came out with all of the episodes in like one chunk. Yes. So that was such a weird move to make it episodic. It's why I didn't touch it for a long time. Yeah, I want to get through that because that's the one that I'm like really excited about. But where I live, I'm just surrounded by loud, crazy people. Like my roommates are insane and I just can't focus on what I need to do. So I'm just going to probably like lock myself in my room and just plow through that. Just lock myself in that weird world. Is that in anticipation of also playing Hitman 2, which comes out yes. very soon? Okay. Yes. Excellent. I'm going to reach out. WB's publishing that one. Square Enix published the original Hitman. Obviously, IO Interactive, the developer of Hitman, longtime developer of Hitman. They were kind of under Square Enix's umbrella. They broke away. They got the IP back. WB is publishing it. I would be really curious to know why all of that happened because I thought that the game did pretty well. But it's funny you brought that up because I did want to say a note about Hitman 2's trophies. Hitman 2 comes out in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. And the big problem with trophy hunters, we don't talk about trophies too much on this show because a majority of people don't care about them. Chris doesn't care about them. So I don't try to make 
this uh, central focus of our show, you know, why would I bore Chris to death with that? But I want to say something about this. Hitman 2, they fucked the trophies up again. <laughs> it is weird that there is no platinum. So there's no platinum in Hitman 2. As you guys might recall, in 2016, when IO and Square Enix released the original Hitman, they didn't release a platinum trophy, and it was episodic. Now, that wasn't an excuse because The Walking Dead, for instance, is an episodic release, or was, and that had a platinum trophy. So they kind of talked about it, and you didn't think they would make the same excuses. Well, between the core game and all the accoutrements with it, there are 118 trophies in the game. 118 trophies. That's quite a bit. And no platinum. 118. That's Even if they were all bronze many times in excess of what a usual base game would get. And there's no platinum trophy in it. It just fucking infuriated me. It really did show me <laughs> that there are just people that don't care or understand that this does matter. And lo and behold, it has been a point of conflict on various forums around the internet. So I wanted to throw that out there. Some of you guys miss us talking, or me in particular, talking about trophies. Chris, I also want to say this about Castlevania, Netflix's oh Castlevania. Did you get through the second season? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I got through the whole first and second season doesn't take much of a commitment. I think the first season's a little over an hour. The second season, I think, is like two hours and change. Yeah, I think it's like tw uh, probably 12 episodes altogether, and right. they're like 22 minutes a pop. Exactly. It's impeccable, dude. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so very it's good. It's surprisingly good. Like, I think it's probably... The I don't think it's a stretch to say it's probably the best, like, video game adaptation to anything on Netflix or in film, or it's, it's probably the best thing, the best example we have of that. It's unbelievable. It's so good. It's unbelievable. I don't understand how they get it so well. Like, yeah. you know how we talk about how games and game designers and publishers, they just don't get it sometimes. They don't understand it. They, you know, Square Enix, I don't think, gets Final Fantasy anymore, for instance. I don't think, yeah. you know, certain Studio X gets certain Game Y. But Konami, which is a company that we don't have a great deal of respect for in the gaming industry anymore because of what they did with Kojima and Metal Gear Survive and all this kind of garbage and Pachinko and health clubs and whatever they care yeah, about, yeah. In, you know, in Japan making a lot of money off of it. They somehow just struck gold on this, and I don't understand how they found these people. Who is it? Adi? What's his name? Uh, uh, I don't know Adi Shankar or whatever his name is. Yeah. The, the director who tweeted at me, which was pretty cool when I tweeted about it, saying that he appreciates that I appreciate the show. And it's funny that they focus on so much on Castlevania 3 and on Symphony of the Night. That's really where the story takes place. So I highly recommend it. People have been recommending this to me. I was years. recommending it. Yeah, you were my brother last year was telling me. He's like, you got to get on it. It's just great. So yeah, shout it's out to that. It's surprisingly good. Brandon Hardman wrote into us and said, with the recent resurgence of Castlevania due to the success of the Netflix show and the re-release of Symphony of the Night and Rondo, where do you see the future of the series? I don't want to get excited because Konami is Konami, but I would love to see this franchise make a return in some form, even if that form was more re-releases. You know, I was thinking, Chris, and I don't know how you feel about this. They got to do a game in that aesthetic, dude. Like, I, they got to do a game like that. Oh, like, like that. that looks like the show? Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome, but they're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, they're not going to do that. And I think this goes back to, like, the reason why the show is so good, I think, is precisely because Konami probably doesn't care all that much. And they were probably like, hey, I just did, yeah, this guy's good. Let him do whatever he wants. You know? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably why that show is so good. I don't imagine that they have, like, a huge amount of care or interest in anything that isn't a mobile game or a pachinko machine or a gym. Right. I learned that they they run gyms apparently. <laughs> yeah, health what? clubs in Japan. Yeah, it's pretty Jesus. pretty viable thing. I'm working. I've been working slowly on a video about Konami that I hope to get out by the end of the year because it was one of the topics that my patrons selected for me to do. And I started doing research and started writing it. And there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. They make a oh, lot yeah. of money. No, it's insane. You know, and they just don't care about this. So I was interested in that too because 
I guess Symphony of the Night and Rondo and their tangential connection to the show through Alucard. I guess that was some sort of weird cross-pollination. You think that they would have brought Castlevania 3 back out since that's what the game or the show is based upon. But you're right. Like, you can't have any faith in them doing it. But I would love for them to understand that Castlevania, as I tweeted out last week, should be huge. And this shows that it can be huge. This is the aesthetic, the feeling, the style. It's so frustrating, man. It's so annoying yeah, no. because it's so good and you just had no idea, especially when you compare and contrast it to Capcom kind of greenlighting that Mega Man abortion of a cartoon that they... Oh, my God. You know, Are they doing a movie, too? Apparently, it's a live-action movie. <sighs> oh, I mean, I watched that oh cartoon, boy. that various trailers of that cartoon. That cartoon fucking sucks. <laughs> sucks. Sucks. Yeah. But the Castlevania cartoon, I would have dreamed and fantasized about that when I was a kid in 1991 or 1992, obsessed with Castlevania. you got to be kidding me. It is a great show, and it's it's a shame because I just don't have faith that we're going to see any new games. I just don't think that they're interested in putting a lot of time and care and resource into something on their end, into a new thing. I think what we're going to see is stuff like ports of old games, because like even like you were talking about how like Rondo and Symphony of the Night, or Requiem the, is what the package is called. How it's just like, it feels like just like a lazily slopped together. Like, the menu is the worst menu I've ever seen. It's actually, for real, actually. Horrifying. So it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get something, but uh, I'm very skeptical. I've said it before. I know a lot of people have said it in the past. I know it's a common theme that, you know, from software should be the studio that makes a Castlevania game. If they're going to make it yeah. in a serious aesthetic, but with all these games that some people like, like the Attack on Titan game and all these other kinds of things, there's a way to make that anime think, style into I, an action RPG or something. I think, I think Platinum would do a really good job. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're cozy right now, though, with Nintendo, and I don't know... Yeah, that's true. Well, with and with others, it's not like they only work with Nintendo, but I wonder, with some of these studios, these Japanese studios scaling out of nowhere, From Software just released a game this past week on PSVR. Oh, yeah. It makes you wonder, you know, what they can take on, but it's so funny, man, because they just, they just get Castlevania, and it's so nice to see, so I wanted to give them a shout for that. The big drama before we get into what we're playing and into the news that's actually relevant to the PlayStation audience, I, I feel like we'd be loath to ignore what's been happening with Diablo Immortal. For people that are not caught up on this story, what basically happened is this past weekend at BlizzCon, which and BlizzCon, of course, is this annual event that Blizzard puts on for, you know, Warcraft and Starcraft and Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch and all the, you know, all their nerdy brands. And <laughs> it's a huge thing. I remember even when I was in mainstream games press, we would send people to that. I would never want to go to that because I don't play PC games, but I understand that. People want to go to that. And they have their little keynote address where they announce new games and they announced a new Diablo game, a core Diablo game in terms called Diablo Immortal, which is a mobile exclusive, exclusive to phones, exclusive to tablets. And this caused a major meltdown amongst people. What do you think about the reaction to this? I actually did an episode of SideQuest that went live today all about it, but I'm curious what you think about this brouhaha. I think it's only partially justified in the sense that a studio like Blizzard should kind of expect when they announce a mobile game at like the most hardcore gathering of their fans that that's not going to go over well and they should anticipate, especially in the current climate, like how it is, you have to expect that there's going to be people outraged by it. Some of it's been a bit much because I feel like a lot of the hate's been directed towards the developers and not the people who actually made the decision to make a mobile Diablo game. Instead of just, like, these people are just, like, doing their job, you know? The the guy who went up on stage and, like, is like, is this a joke? It's like, calm down, dude. That's, that's Yeah, a I thought much. that was lame. I thought that yeah. the reaction to him was lame, too. Obviously, he was trying to be a little snarky. And I think he was a little apologetic about it if Reddit posts are to be believed. Who the hell yeah. knows? I'm not digging into this too deeply. But I understand why people are upset about this. 
I don't think people think about things in context. Like, it's a video game. And also, every little piece of information that comes out about it indicates to me that there is nothing to be mad about. For instance, like, there's no opportunity cost. Blizzard and Activision are flush with money. If they wanted to make 10 concurrent Diablo games, they could do it. Oh, yeah. It's, so it's, this isn't an opportunity cost, right? It's, it's all about the optics of the situation. Like, if you remember, like, last year at uh, E3, Microsoft revealed, like, three Gears of War games at once. And one of them was, like, this weird, like, Funko Pop-looking yeah. Gears of War game. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? If they had just did that, if they had just shown a Funko Pop Gears of War and not followed with Gears of War, whatever the next one is, it's five or yeah, whatever. whatever. If they had I remember not, the trailer, but I don't remember Yeah, the yeah. But if they hadn't followed up with that, I feel like people would have been like, what the hell is this? So I think the problem is, like, if you're going to do something like that that you know your hardcore audience is not going to be pleased with, it would behoove you to kind of reassure that immediately afterwards even if you're not necessarily ready just like we see teasers for games all the time that aren't ready you know what i mean like i think it would have been a probably a smarter business decision to be like hey this exists but hey guess what bam diablo 4 you know even if there's nothing ready to show just from an optics perspective sure i think you're absolutely right there and i think what's interesting about it is that we are or at least i am i don't want to speak for you i'm caught in between a rock and a hard place with my feelings on this and my feelings about what bethesda did with fallout 76 and then talking about starfield and talking about the elder scrolls 6 which we had noted they kind of felt like they needed to do to make people realize that they're still making their old games i, I think this is why i think this is actually exactly why it's interesting because it kind of proves my theory wrong about it that they didn't really need to do this and they can kind of be patient but at the same time I think it could have been way more throwaway in both situations. I think, for instance, if they came out at BlizzCon and they were like, listen, and they even showed logos. And they're like, we have four Diablo games. Diablo Project 1, 2, 3, 4. Maybe they're not even numbered or whatever, right? Yeah. And we're excited to show you the other three Diablo games. As you guys know, we took 11 years to make Diablo 3. We're going to take a long time. We're going to do this right with Diablo, the next main court, mainline Diablo game. We hear you loud and clear. The one that we're ready to talk about today, though is an expansion to get more people in and more people involved, just like Diablo 3 did, by the way. Yeah. Diablo 3 sold better than Diablo 2, I think, 6 to 1. So it's not like they're all old-school Diablo fans. And it could have just been handled like that. They didn't have to show a logo or a stinger. They literally could have just acknowledged it, and I understand that. But the reaction to it is strange, and I feel like every little piece of information that comes out about it should feed the counter-narrative, but still feeds the narrative. Like, people are like, well, they're outsourcing it. We found out they're outsourcing it to some Chinese studio, and I'm like... Isn't that good news? That means that no one at Blizzard HQ is working on this except for producers and a few people that are tending to it. Yeah, I, I understand that. But I also understand the perspective of, of like ending your conference, your BlizzCon showcase with a game that you, you're not even making. You know what I mean? That's like there's fair. also that where it's like I think it all could have been mitigated. They didn't even have to like talk about Diablo 4 at all. They could have just showed this mobile game earlier on and ended with something else. I don't know what they would have ended with, but just like leading up to it. Bad call. Like, right. leading up to a mobile game at a PC convention is just a really... Like, I could have told you that. It's not that difficult a thing to figure out. And, yeah, I think they probably just should have not ended with it. Or end with Diablo 4. So at least, right? At least, even though you have this mobile game that nobody cares about, at least the show would have ended on somewhat of a relieving note. Whereas they just kind of didn't do it. And, you know... I, a lot of people are like, oh, they shouldn't have been like, oh, you guys have phones. And it's like, I get the knee-jerk reaction. You get defensive when you're on stage and somebody's like criticizing you, you know? Yeah, they should have definitely expected it. I think it's a failure across the board at Blizzard to understand things. I think the game will probably be good and I think it'll probably make a lot of money. Yeah. My whole thing is that I think we need to 
assume better about people and walk into situations under the assumption that people aren't trying to disappoint you. Activision and Blizzard make money by repeatedly hitting the bank. They don't hit you once and then walk away. So they don't want to disappoint you. No one's sitting around a conference table being like, let's fucking mess with these nerds today. So I think that it was just yeah. a... I just don't think people are patient and kind enough to each other. And I think that this was another example of the outrage feeding itself. And even today, like I was saying earlier with the tweet and the con confirmation from Jason at Kotaku that they were going to show something about Diablo 4 and they pulled it a few weeks before BlizzCon because they just didn't feel ready to show it yet. And yeah. that is now spreading as being they pulled it because they were trying to spite people and stuff. And I'm like, that's not what it fucking says, you know? Yeah. So whatever. Yeah. Now, it, there definitely is like too much toxicity and I'm getting sick of it. But you have to also be aware of like the landscape that we're in. If I was the one to have planned this event, the reaction I don't think would have surprised me. Personally, like from what I know about like the industry and like just the general feeling of the consumer base, I wouldn't have been surprised by the reaction. So I think it is a failure on pretty much everybody's part. Indeed. But it is a failure on, on Blizzard's just PR in general. Sure. Absolutely. That shirt keeps changing color. It's like a Technicolor t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. It's unbelievable. Now, Ian Kennedy wrote into us, a Patreon as you guys can, and said, Hey guys, do you think mobile devices are a viable platform for gaming? What makes cell phone experiences so different from, say, a Game Boy Advance? Is it an issue with oversaturation that has ruined gamers' goodwill? You know, Chris, I'm curious what you think about this, because I don't think I've been eloquent enough over the years in talking about specific problems, why I have a problem with this platform itself, especially because when mobile games come to Vita or come to PlayStation 3 or PlayStation 4, I've played them and enjoyed them. I think it's what mobile gaming represents. I think it's all of the bad shit that started on mobile that migrated to our space. Yeah. And I think that when you aim for the simplistic and most lowest common denominator and you dumb everything down and then migrate that to hardcore gaming or towards just normal gaming ecosystems, that it paints the entire thing badly. Because there's no doubt that there are great, fantastic games on mobile. I mean, over the years, of course there is. But to me, I just think it's a dead, shitty platform generally because of what it has done. Yeah. To our ecosystem. I don't mind that it brings people in. What I mind is that, you know, what microtransactions and loot boxes and yeah, dumbing all, down of... The, and that all started yeah. there. You no, know, exactly. It didn't start where we are. So that's why I don't like it. It's it's a very predatory ecosystem. And it's just rife with ripoffs and stolen assets. I saw this trailer kind of recently. Like, with the worst the worst commercial I've ever seen for GTA Five on Android. And uh, it most certainly was not... GTA 5 on Android. They even have like the the uh, Rockstar logo of the 5 on there. I'm like, how are you getting away with this? Is this legal? I don't think so, but it's it's there and I'm seeing it advertised and it's just for me just a lot of the problems with mobile just come from just the sheer screen real estate of it. I don't like the fact that a phone already has a small screen as it is. Now you're going to clutter that screen with the controller. Like, you got to put your hands on the screen. Imagine if you had to wipe your hand all over your television to play a video game. It's just like, it's not fun at all. And like, ah, well, you could get some um, peripherals. Or you could get some uh, add-on connecting controllers. Yeah, you could do that. But it's like, who's going to want to do that? Who's going to want to carry around like... Or put it in your in your face like a, a yeah, yeah. VR like, machine? Like, like, what are you, like, what is this, Heelys? Like, you're going to carry around like your wheels in case you want to ride a little bit? No, it's like they make, <laughs> they make, like they make consoles and like portable systems specifically for that that's why the game boy advance is so cherished because you're not smudging your freaking hands all over the screen and it's got like pretty hardcore games on it it doesn't got like it's not flappy bird or like you know candy crush or whatever and it's like that's what i think of when i think of the mobile market i don't think of i don't think of gears of war i don't think of half-life i don't think of the last of us i don't think of mario odyssey i think of like flappy bird or like these weird maybe i wouldn't mind playing tetris on my phone sure but, like, I'm never going to play 
a Gears of War game on my phone, even if I can, because I can just play it on an Xbox. The sad thing is, is that the potential of that market was untapped, obviously, when iPhone came out and could have gone in any direction and they chose to race to the bottom. So they destroyed that market. That market is permanently destroyed. And I just don't like that it's leaking into our space and has leaked into our space. That's why I deride mobile gaming so much. I don't think it's necessarily individual games. There's obviously a lot of absolute abject hundreds of thousands, if not millions of just pieces of shit on these stores. (laughs) But there are also games like Monument Valley and all these games that are very critically acclaimed and good boards and stuff. And I think that's why Vita and 3DS were so appealing because there is something about touch interfaces that are great, but you need to have the ability to use face buttons and sticks and all those kinds of things too. And that way you don't have to have one or the other. You can have the best of both worlds. I got a Vita recently. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. I'm excited about this. I'm very excited about this because you came, You became a man last week and <laughs> it's a long time coming. Now, before I move forward, are you a Diablo guy at all? Do you play I like Diablo? Diablo? All right. Then let me ask you this question. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Daniel Wiseman wrote in and said, Hey, Colin and Chris, with the release of Diablo 3 on Switch and all the hype it is receiving again, is it time for me to try the game? I would want to obviously play on the PS4 for the trophies, but I never tried it before. Just wondering your thoughts on this very old game that I missed somehow. Thanks. I have... No experience with this franchise. Oh, no? No. It's good. Diablo 3 especially, like, because I remember Diablo 3 launched and it was, like, kind of a mess. It was, like, error 34 or, like, 43 or something. It was, like, a crazy, like, error that, like, was killing a lot of the games or a lot of the copies of the game. And it's astounding that they managed to take such a bad PR thing and just, like, turn it into, like, a really great game. But, no, yeah, absolutely, right now. Get Diablo 3. It's a great game. And it's a surprisingly good couch co-op game. I love it. I think it came to PS4 in 2014, so the Something like that, version yeah. of it on PS4 should be pretty cheap. Maybe I'll invest in it. Maybe to the question we got earlier, that will be another one of the games that I spend some time with because I have these dreams and aspirations of, for some reason, ripping through a bunch of Assassin's Creed games this <laughs> December. Right. I really feel like I'm going to play one of those games for five hours and be like, I've had enough of this. Yeah. But we'll see because I've heard good things about Odyssey, but I want to work forward as opposed to backwards because that will be a more likely you know, light at the end of the tunnel situation as opposed to starting with the best and then ultimately wanting to kill myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. But yeah, happen. but I do recommend Diablo 3. Now, Chris. Yeah. Let's get into what we're playing. You had mentioned that you got a Vita. I'm so very proud of you. So let's start there. What happened here? Because I told you it was a little disappointing to me because I had a plan to get you your own Vita and present it to you on the show. Your birthday is only a few weeks now. Yeah. So I'm going to have to make a left turn somewhere. We don't know where that's going to end up. We don't know what's going to happen I'm a little petrified of that. Well, you should be. You should be. I mean, it could be good. It could be bad. We'll find out. I don't want to see Colin improvising. (laughs) It sounds horrifying to me. But what made you want to invest in a Vita? Honestly, just the fact that I can't play freaking PS1 games on my PS4. And hey, there's a library of PS1 games that I can play on the Vita anywhere I I go. So yeah, obviously, it's a no-brainer. The PS1 is like my favorite console of all time. And the fact that I can't play Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> the fact that I can't play Medieval or uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut on the PlayStation 4 is insane. And I just want to play that again. I want to have those experiences again because I miss them. So you went back onto the store and bought all of the games that you were missing? I saw that you tweeted out a picture of some yeah, sort. Yeah, I got like a couple. I got a lot, got a lot of twos. I got uh, Strider. I got Strider 2. I got Tekken 2. Uh, Medieval. Not Medieval 2 because Medieval 2 is not available. But 
Interesting. Yeah, I've been playing through a bunch of bunch of uh, old games and the Metal Gear uh, two and three oh, okay, HD cool. collection. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you get any native Vita games or just these? Just that, games? just that one. <laughs> I played Gravity Rush a while ago and it was fine, but it was like really weird because you have to like tilt the yeah. the thing, but you can't see what you're, you know. Some people prefer it on console. I never thought Gravity Rush was very good to begin with. That, yeah. was, that was always my opinion. I think that people were a little too much up that game's ass. But So that's fun. Congratulations and welcome. And we'll, hopefully we'll get you into the more endemic Vita games as time goes on. There's yeah. time enough at last. So. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to get all, through all the millions of uh, <laughs> visual novels oh, that I can now plow through. Oh, my God, dude. By the way. So many. Let me just say, by the way, like I, I like the fact that I can play PS1 games wherever I want. But uh, boy, golly, that's the worst... You user interface I think I've ever seen. You don't like it? The I don't like the bubbles. I don't like the page peel. I don't yeah. like the fact that I click on something and then I have to click it again to start it. It's all very like... Yeah, it pops up a rectangle and then you hook yeah, it. Yeah, it's all very like 2011 iOS. It sure is. It sure is. They definitely didn't change things. It's funny because you can see the genetic change. It's like an evolutionary missing link between PS3 and PS4 where... It kind of feels a little bit and looks a little bit like PS3, and you can kind of see where they were moving it towards PS4. And you should try it with remote play because it does really work. Oh, I way. tried. My internet does not. My internet is horrendous. Oh, okay. Not gonna yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just not going to work. That's too bad. Never mind. Strike that from the record. I've been playing, and we've both been playing, I think, more Red Dead Redemption 2. How far are you into it? I'm only... I can't believe this. I When I shut the game off last night, I'm literally 50% through the story. <laughs> I'm like, how is this... Po- how long is this game? There is so much in the game. I don't want to talk too deeply about it, but how far are you in it? I'm, I wouldn't say I'm super far. I've been to uh, Saint Denis, not narratively. Like I went there because I knew that there was something down there, so I went on my own accord. I think I'm probably, if I were to guess, if you're at fifty percent, I'm probably like, my God, I'm probably maybe thirty, thirty-five, something like that. It's crazy. We're gonna get, we're getting there. I'm gonna try to dedicate ten percent a day for the yeah. next few days until I can just get through this thing. Cause I kind of am eager to be done with it. It's a really great game, but it's like this thing where I'm like, I know I want to play it. I know I want to, I want to beat it. I want to play it organically, which yeah. is a big thing to me. There's so much random ass shit. Like there was this distress call or whatever from a nearby. I was riding by from this tent. There's all this hullabaloo going inside the tent. I open up the tent. There's like a, and then they, they stick me up and I'm like, oh, this yeah. is so wild, dude. I'm like, this is so crazy that there's just so much of this. And then another thing there was this guy outside of a gun shop who I must have helped at some point. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, hey, man, remember me? He's like, go get a gun for free in the gun shop. I'm like, all right. You know, and then I went and got myself a repeater. So I just love playing it organically because it seems like it's so rewarding when you do it that oh, way. No, so I'm absolutely. really loath to rush through it. And that's why we're not doing the episode this week. But we'll be ready to go next week. You better be ready to go, Chris. I will do, I will do my best. You better be ready to go. The only other game that I've been messing around with is Castlevania Requiem. I have all the trophies in Symphony of the Night, except for the one to beat it with Richter, because it's annoying. I'll get it eventually. And I have to move on to Rondo of Blood now. For people that are wondering about the trophy specifically, about getting the duplicator, which costs 500,000 gold, an inordinate amount of gold. You'll never, ever get that much gold in the game. There's an interesting glitch on PS trophies that you guys should go look up that I did it while listening to podcast in about an hour and a half. So you guys can go check that out if you want. It just requires you being a bat, using the sonar. Getting this $250,000 bag, going off the screen, going back up, doing it over and over again. It's pretty simple. I love that assortment of tasks. It gets way worse. It's trophy hunters. I'm so detached from the real trophy hunt these days as I used to be, way more enamored with it. The things you do, man, and the games you'd play. This is why I'm getting so tired of the whole trophy culture as it is now is because like people just play garbage. Yeah, just for to trophies. Get trophies. Like I said yesterday, or last week rather... That game full blast on Vita, I was earning so many trophies so quickly that I am formatting the Vita so that I don't sink the trophies. I don't want them. Like, I just don't want them. They're not, they're not real trophies. They're cheap. 
shitty trophies and people that are playing like Jack and Jill DX and getting a platinum in 10 minutes and then putting it on Vita and getting another one oh in God. 10 minutes. It's like, that's so corny. And Sony needs to do something about this because they're ruining the value of these godforsaken trophies that I care about so deeply for some strange reason. Chris, let's get in the news. Let's do it. Before we do that, you and I have been talking about two games recently. A little bit. Yeah. We talked a little bit about Kingdom Hearts because of this new collection. And we talked a little bit about Fallout 76. And I was a little hard on Fallout 76. I think both of us were hard on Kingdom Hearts. We got two (laughs) reader submissions that I just wanted to read, to be fair, to represent a different side of the argument. So people know that we don't have a monopoly on the feelings about these games. Yeah. Etc. Digitaco wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, I would like to defend Fallout 76. I have been a fan of the series since Fallout New Vegas, the best one. As a huge fan of the series, I love the gameplay loop Fallout offers. I do agree that the gameplay and story don't stand up to something like The Witcher or Horizon Zero Dawn. However, I play Fallout for the exploration and quest for better loot. The new game gives me a huge world to explore and more varied loot than ever before. They mix up a few systems like the leveling, but keep keep the main gameplay the same. In fact, the best part of Fallout 76 is they can continually add more content and I don't have to wait five plus years for a new installment. Lastly, besides in Fallout 3, Bethesda has never had a very compelling main story anyway. Thank you for your time and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the game once you guys get some time to play with it. So that's a fair counter to my opinions on it. Listen, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's good. I just, I'm worried about it just because I, you know, the performance has been kind of weird and like, you know, I I agree that the main reason that I, that I'm drawn to Fallout 2 is kind of the exploration and just like the world and the kind of aesthetic. And honestly, uh, I think the only reason I even picked up Fallout in the first place was because the soundtrack was so interesting to me. Just like the forties kind of like old school, like, ah, this is a neat auditory backdrop for a very interesting looking place. And so to me, as long as the map is interesting and there's stuff to do on that map, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Like, I just worry about the actual kind of more under the hood value of it and like how, how good it is under the hood as opposed to like, you know, I don't mind the fact that there's no NPCs because quite frankly, especially after playing Red Dead 2, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, Bethesda NPCs are kind of horrible. <laughs> like a lot of Skyrim NPCs are literally the same guy. <laughs> over and over again like constantly like for real actually yeah skyrim didn't feel well populated to me that was a major problem i had with that game although i didn't spend too much time with it yeah now the other letter that i wanted to read comes from kingdom farts this was the person's name kingdom farts <laughs> good he says hey colin and chris i've been enjoying sacred symbols for a while now and i've been meaning to pledge my support here on patreon for about as long and your remarks regarding kingdom hearts are what finally pushed me over the edge that's what we got to do then we have to find the things that people yep. love and d- bash them so that they become supporters. I hate Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> as someone who holds Kingdom Hearts very dear, Kingdom Hearts 2 is my favorite game of all time. I wanted to try to give some insight as to why at least some people enjoy the game so much. For me personally, the real meat of the package is the gameplay and the original story. While the mechanics are admittedly simple, there is extra depth for those who want to explore it and those who play on harder difficulties. And everything just feels right. As for the story, it is very cheesy, but unapologetically and endearingly so. As a result, the series has a lot of heart, pun intended, which is something that I'm enormous. I'm an enormous sucker for. Not to mention that it's absolutely hilarious to see a photorealistic Johnny Depp stand next to Donald Duck, Goofy, and an anime character. See, that's the unsettling part of it. I can't. I can't argue that last part. It was actually one of the reasons that like my roommates are really into it, and I, I've I've just been bashing it constantly every time there's like a new trailer up and they're watching in the living room. And I'm like, what is this weeb nonsense? They have these trailers where they don't mix the audio at all, and it's just music and voice acting and no sound effects, so it's, like, really, really awkward. And there's this one point where some anime kid is in Monsters, Inc., and he's like, when we collect enough screams and sadness from those children. And I was like, I have to buy this game. That's the worst line of dialogue I've ever heard. I don't want to take 
any enjoyment away from you. Like we can all like whatever the hell we want. I know a lot of people get annoyed whenever, whenever I bring up Doom. I love Doom. A lot of people like hate it. I get it. But it's you have to admit it's it's hilarious looking. No, it's uh... <laughs> it looks ridiculous, and I think even somebody who loves it can acknowledge that. I'm really co- quite put off by it, not even in a facetious way. I'm just like this. It's like I said with Mario Odyssey. I'm like this is unsettling. You don't want to see a, a photorealistic Kevin Spacey play poker with Danny Phantom on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> Well, yes, actually. <laughs> All right, let's jump into the news. There's not too much let's of consequence it, yeah. this week. I think we can run through this pretty quickly. Number one, Sony has revealed November's free games for PlayStation Plus subscribers. If you have an active PS Plus account, you can garner these games for free throughout the month. Remember, if you have no interest in playing a game now or even ever, you can still grab the games on the PlayStation Store for free and add them to your library to be downloaded later in case you change your mind. Rumors from last month were true in regard to November's free PS4 games. Frenetic FPS Bulletstorm Full Clip Edition and Japanese action-adventure game Yakuza Kiwami can both be had for free of charge. On PlayStation 3, multiplayer game Jackbox Party Pack 2 is free, as is puzzle game Arkido Series. And finally, on PS Vita, you can get strange adventure game Burly Men at Sea and comical limo driving simulator Roundabout for free, and both of them can also be downloaded to PlayStation 4. I looked up videos for both of them. That Burly Men at Sea game looks really abstract, but Roundabout looks kind of like a crazy taxi game. Yeah, yeah. I remember when Roundabout was like first like coming out, I think. Alex Edinger wrote into us and said, Hey, Colin and Chris, what do you think is the future of PS Plus once the PS5 releases? Sony is set to cut PS3 and Vita games in the near future, leaving us with only a handful of PS4 titles. Supposing PS5 is backwards compatible and launches with a handful of titles, how do you see the future of the service? Thank you for all that you do and keep making Tuesday great again. Chris, what do you think happens with PlayStation Plus? Because my assumption is that we're going to start getting PSVR games every month to make up for the PS3 and Vita games. And then eventually when PS5 comes out, you'll get two PS5, two PS4, and two PSVR games. That's my assumption. As this Yeah, I think that's that's probably the fairest assumption. I don't think you're going to get PS5 games immediately, obviously, because I don't. I just don't see how they can justify putting out new games. Unless they pay like a lot, which I, I, I don't see that happening. But I do. PS Plus as a platform is probably the only reason I'm sure that we're going to get a pretty robust amount of backwards compatibility for the PS5. Because otherwise, it's just like, they're not going to have anything to offer you if they don't offer that. That's a great so, point. And, you know, hopefully hopefully that extends to classic uh, games that we can't currently play on PS4. That's my hope, is, th- is that they figure out the PS3 running and maybe get PS1 classics on again. Because the fact that it was on PS3 and not PS4 is, like, staggering to me. I, st- I still, like, it, it, I wake up in cold sweats, still thinking about why, why. You make an interesting point that I don't think that on PS Plus, obviously back in the day, classics weren't involved, but I don't think the PS2 classics on PS4 have been made for free ever. I could be wrong on that because usually they pull from the first party stuff or the friendly third party stuff they have like with Rockstar to fill in the void, but they have to fill in this void because they have set a precedent of giving us six free games. And I don't know how you cut back down on that unless the other thing is that they just guarantee more frequent and deeper discounts on games. I don't know. Maybe. Online play and cloud saving are already wrapped up in the PS Plus. The whole cloud saving thing is worth the price of admission for me because I'm not paranoid about losing my saves. So, although, you know, if you change your PSN name, who the hell knows? I can't wait to see what happens with all of yeah, that, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and hey, look, Game Pass is working out really well for Microsoft. So maybe, who knows, maybe Dreams will be like just a, uh, when it comes out on PS5. Maybe it'll be like a, a PS Plus free game. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, hopefully we'll get more as, in the words of back compat. Number two, we have new PlayStation 4 sales figures. 
As of September 30th, Sony's financial reports show that the that 86.1 million PS4s have been shipped, indicating sales to retailers, not to consumers, though it's safe to assume that number has been achieved to customers by this point or will be shortly. Gamatsu relays statistics from Sony's financials, including the fact that Sony sold 3.9 million PS4s total for their second quarter, which is down 300,000 units year over year. However, there's good news for the company. The company expects to sell a half a million more units for the fiscal year, ending March 31st, 2019, than they had originally expected. They once thought they would sell 17 million for the fiscal year, and now they think the number will be more like 17.5 million. Sony shared positive stats for software and subscriptions too. 75.1 million pieces of software were sold both at retail and digital for the quarter, up 5.4 million year over year with 28% of those sales digital, which is awesome. Additionally, 34.3 million people are active PlayStation Plus subs, up 6.2 million year over year. So PlayStation Plus subscriptions are also on the rise. That's great. Number three, Red Dead Redemption 2 had the biggest launch weekend in the history of entertainment, not just video games, all of entertainment. A press release notes that the game made $725 million in worldwide sell-through in three days. <laughs> sell-through is shorthand to indicate that the number represents sold to consumers and not to retailers. Grand Theft Auto V, which launched in 2013, edged out Red Dead 2 in its first three days, making a billion dollars, though that was a weekday release and not a weekend release, which is the differentiator. The same press release notes that when it comes to PS4, Red Dead Redemption 2 had the biggest opening weekend for the platform, the biggest launch of any game in 2018 on the platform, had more pre-orders on PSN than any game in PlayStation Network history, which spans both PS3 and PS4, and the most day one and third days and three day sales rather of any game in PSN's history. So indicates not only high sales, but a skewing towards digital sales, which is great. Yeah. Especially because the game is gigantic. Yeah. Matthew Kennedy wrote in and said, hi, Colin and Chris. Recently, it was confirmed that despite the delay, the Spiral Reignited trilogy on disc will require a download for the second and third games. This combined with Red Dead Redemption 2's double-disc physical copy got me thinking that the next generation will almost certainly be the last we see of physical games. My question is, how do you think the gaming industry will be affected by a completely digital landscape? <laughs> GameStop's done. Oh, for sure. I've said this many times, and I'm, I'm sorry for people that have listened to me for a long time, but the second that the stakeholders decide that they want to drop the guillotine it's over yeah. because the only reason that they remain friendly with these outlets is because as you can see still 73 percent of sales are retail sales mm -hmm. that number is way lower than it was two years ago when it was in the 90s by the way so it's happening and they require and rely upon these different companies to push their hardware so if they you know destroy their relationship with them then they have no outlets in which to get their stuff out but it's really going to put these companies in an existential crisis and what i'm excited about and i've said this many times is that i think game pricing real game pricing will come down i think that you can expect next generation to spend 70 or 80 dollars on AAA experiences but i think digital landscapes not having to print not having to ship not having to pay you know your your fee to your you know retailer and all those kinds of things will allow this middle ground to be explored where retail games can be 30 40 50 dollars like Mega Man 11 was 30 bucks that's a kind of a weird price for a new game and yeah they were able to do that, I think, because it was at retail, but it was also digital. And I, I think we are already kind of paying like seventy to eighty dollars for complete games. If you really look at like what a season pass is, and a lot of them have like these microtransaction things too, where it's like, hey, it's 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 a booster pack or whatever. But that really is just like, hey, this gives you actually instant access to all the stuff that's actually in the game. So we've been paying more for games for for a while already. Hopefully, if it gets more expensive, we will see less content packs and stuff like that but there's every reason i think or most reason to be excited about this for the gamer unless you live in a rural area a place with unreliable internet or you have no internet but i also understand and i'm sympathetic to the argument that you know it is 2018 we're talking about video game consoles video game consoles have been perpetually connected to the internet since 2005 
with the Xbox 360. Obviously, you can connect your Dreamcast and all and your Xbox original Xbox to the internet, but in terms of perpetual connection and the expectation that they'll be connected, this is something going on like 13 years now. And if you're still playing modern video games and you don't have a reliable internet connection or some sort of conduit for that, you are in a deep minority of gamers. And I don't know that they're going to be super concerned about appealing to you moving forward. It's not like with Xbox One and you know Don Matrick saying like, well, we have a system for offline gamers. It's the Xbox 360. Like, well, that happened five years ago and. There's something that rings true about that, actually. I yeah, I he wasn't wrong, but the optics were just so bad, and the yeah. way the way he did everything. His smug so fucking bad. face couldn't win in one argument. It doesn't matter what came out of his mouth. Yeah. Number four, Sony has unsurprisingly confirmed MLB The Show 19 for PlayStation 4, which will launch in the spring of 2019 out of Sony San Diego, which works on the game each year. The year's cover athlete is coveted free agent outfielder Bryce Harper, previously of the Washington Nationals. The game will launch exclusively for PlayStation 4 on March 26, 2019, and there are pre-order bonuses and multiple SKUs of the game to be had, including both retail and digital packages. Obviously, they stopped their PS2 run, I think, in 2011 or 2012. Vita is no longer being supported. I don't know if they're making a PS3 version. I would assume they are. But we do know that the PlayStation 4 version, March 26, 2019, the show is a massive PlayStation exclusive. I don't think a lot of people give it the credit that it deserves. It's one of the best-selling PlayStation 4 games year in and year out. So the new one is coming. Please enjoy. Do they put athletes on uh, cereal boxes anymore, or is that just basically reserved for video game covers now? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a great question. Hmm. I think they probably do. Wheaties. They, they make Wheaties still, right? I haven't seen a box of Wheaties in, like, ages. I didn't really like Wheaties very much. Yeah, they're not really good. Number five, the MPD Group, which tracks primarily American gaming hardware and software sales, has released interesting data about lifetime PS Vita software sales. Matt Piscatella, who is an MPD analyst and who blocks me on Twitter for some reason, tweeted out the best 10 best-selling Vita games. Both retail and digital sales counted since the handheld launched in the West in the early part of 2012. The best-selling Vita games lifetime in the United States are as follows in order. Uncharted Golden Abyss, Call of Duty Black Ops Declassified, Assassin's Creed 3 Liberation, Mortal Kombat, Little Big Planet, Need for Speed Most Wanted, Killzone Mercenary, Persona 4 Golden, Ultimate, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and Unit 13. Persona 4 Golden is the only game on the list whose digital sales aren't counted, indicating that it's likely much higher on the list. I wouldn't be surprised if it was number one or number two. All of these games are from the Vita's early life. Indeed, nine of the ten games are from Vita's launch year. Killzone Mercenary, launched in 2013, is the newest game in the top 10. This indicates a plummeting interest in Vita early on, making it not incredibly surprising that Sony opted to all but abandon it fairly quickly. That's an interesting sales figure. When I looked at that chart, I'm like, man, not even Freedom Wars, none of these third-party games from later. These are all launch year games, all of them, except for one. That's really, really unbelievable stuff and quite sad, actually, but a good illustration from NPD about, well, what happened? It's a shame. Number six, MPD's Matt Piscatella. I should just reach out to this guy and be like, why did you block me? Because I can't see your stuff unless I'm reading, you know, websites. Also released word on the best-selling PS1 games at retail, spanning from its American launch in 1995 to present, though relevant sales obviously fell off very early in the 21st century. The best-selling American PS1 games were in order. Crash Bandicoot, Gran Turismo, Final Fantasy VII, Gran Turismo II, Crash Bandicoot Warped, Tekken 3, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, Metal Gear Solid, Crash Bandicoot 2, and Driver. Man, Crash dominated. (laughs) I had no idea that the list would have looked like that. Yeah. And that's really super interesting to me. NPDs are so interesting, too. I haven't seen the raw NPD data in several years, but for anyone that has ever seen it, it's basically a monthly mailing that you get in an Excel doc. It's this huge Excel doc, and it has this really granular information. You pay lots of money for it. It costs subscriptions, I think, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. 
now that they track digital sales, it's useful again. It was getting into this window where it wasn't useful anymore because they weren't tracking digital sales. But it's funny because every once in a while, if you scroll down, this game on Sega Saturn was scanned one time in this random place yeah. around the United States. And I always loved that kind of stuff. And you'd still see PS1 games pop up because someone found them in the back room somewhere at some you know mom and pop shop and they started selling them off. So I always, I found these sales quite compelling. This data quite interesting. And I'm really surprised to see Crash Bandicoot chart three times. I guess that really indicates that I was totally out of touch in that era because I was playing the most weebish shit possible at that time yeah. in my life that I thought you would, this list would be rife with, you know, Thousand Arms and Legend of Lagaya and all this shit. No, man. No Crash cool. was Crash was huge. I don't really believe that, by the way. Yeah, no, it was. It was. And it's cool to see. Good. Yeah. I love data. I just love data. Driver is an interesting one. Too yeah. Long. I wouldn't have expected that one. No, me neither. Not, not that one. No. Number seven. During last week's show, we discussed Sony's Sean Layden's appearance on the PlayStation broadcast, confirming that Medieval for PlayStation 4 was still coming, that it was a remake and not a remaster of the first game, which launched on PS1 in 1998, and that it was under development at Other Ocean Entertainment. Sony has since released a trailer for the game, which you can see on the official PlayStation YouTube channel. The video confirms that it's set to launch in 2019. Did you get a chance to watch the trailer? I did. What did you think? A lot of the the enemy designs for Spyro looked a little bit off when they were like redone for the remaster, and I thought like Crash looked a little weird. Uh, but this looks pretty faithful. It looks it looks exactly how I would imagine this game looking now, and it doesn't have this weird kind of like oh uh, we'll make it a little bit more cartoony. It, it does look precisely how i would imagine an evolution of it to look like i'm confused at the decision to only remake the first game considering there's only two games and we got all three spiros and crashes especially because the first medieval is pretty short it's not all that long so that decision kind of weirds me out and it it just doesn't seem like i wouldn't have made that decision but i'm, I'm happy to see it again because i think it's a, a very underappreciated game on the ps1 well, you're enjoying it now on your Vita as a PS1 classic. Yeah. I guess I'm not super surprised about not remastering them both because it's a low-risk endeavor for Sony and maybe they have a reason to then work into the second one and so on and so forth. They did a similar thing with a much more talented studio, no offense, with you know Insomniac and Ratchet and Clank. They could yeah, have yeah. easily remade all those. I wouldn't be surprised if they continued to go down that road. But with Medieval, it could just be a one-off. It could also be like a $20 or $30 game. So there is that to consider as well. But I think it looks really fun, and it, it is definitely a throwback to a simpler time. Now, we did get a letter from Ross Taran over at Patreon, and Ross said, Is it weird that Sony has pursued a full remake of Medieval after the recent closure of its original studio, SCE Cambridge, later Guerrilla Cambridge? Cambridge had developed many strange and largely unrelated titles for PlayStation consoles. Is there any hope for these forgotten Sony-owned IP? Keep fighting those moths, symbol guys. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I don't know what that means. But I appreciate you nonetheless, Ross, and your well-loved and appreciated in this environment that we are existing in here and this, this ecosystem, this PlayStation ecosystem. Now, Cambridge, of course, did close up shop in early 2017. And it was really sad because Sony has been shuttering its first-party studios. Its family is much smaller than it was even 10 years ago. And you have to remember that apart from Medieval, they did all three Medieval games. Of course, they did Medieval and Medieval 2 in 2000. Medieval Resurrection was a PSP exclusive and PSP yeah, launch game. That was awful. That was not good. That was off. I never played it, so I don't I don't have any insight into it. They also made those weird PS2 games, Primal and Ghost Hunter, which a lot of people might not remember. But then they kind of got put into this weird space. They made a little big planet on PSP. They made that game on PS3 called TV Superstars, which was a PlayStation Move game that was kind of like a 
casual game you play with your kids and stuff. I actually reviewed that at IGN back in the day. And then you guys will remember that they were rebranded as Guerrilla Cambridge. This is when they made Killzone Mercenary, which is probably, their, in my opinion, their best game. And they made Rigs, which was the PSVR game, the ill-fated PSVR game, and then they closed them down. But no, I'm not surprised that they did this after closing Cambridge. Cambridge had changed so dramatically. By the time Cambridge was closed, it was 12 years since they had made a medieval game. Yeah. So and and, and by the way, it. even like uh, Medieval Resurrection, which was the the PSP medieval game, was a remake of the original Medieval. I don't know if they had lost a lot of talent or or like if maybe like the original people were not there to do that. But that was I'm glad it's a different studio. <laughs> Personally speaking, no, no no offense to them, but like that game was totally missed the plot of like what Medieval was and like the tone of it. And I don't see any benefit that it would have had to like maybe if the person here is suggesting that like oh maybe they should have had this studio who made the original Medieval make the remake because they already did. <laughs> And it wasn't particularly good, so good point. I don't know. Yeah, totally fair point. And yeah, again, teams change so radically that I would have been quite doubtful that anyone that worked on the original Medievals, apart from maybe some high-ranking people like Gorilla, Cambridge, or Cambridge Studio, depending on the era you're talking about, were even there anymore. So times change, and I think that the game seems to be in good hands, as far as I can tell. Oh, yeah. We'll find out in 2019. It's already a way better remake than <laughs> than the original Studios remake. So the final piece of news is a wrap-up, as usual, Chris. Website Push Square reports that both Hitman Blood Money and Hitman Absolution have been rated for release on PlayStation 4 by PEGI, the European Games Rating Board. Blood Money originally came to PlayStation 2 in 2006, while Absolution launched on PlayStation 3 in 2012. That's good to hear. Push Square also reports word that online servers for PS3 games Warhawk, Twisted Metal, Sound Shapes, and PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, which were set to close at the end of October, have been kept online and will now be shut down on the last day of January 2019. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The official Just Cause Twitter account has confirmed that Just Cause 4, set for a launch in early December, has gone gold, indicating that the theme is done with the core game. Activision has confirmed that Spyro Reignited Trilogy will only have the first full game on its disc, with portions of the second and third games on the disc in need of supplementation by a download file. That's still so weird. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, it is very weird. And finally, free-to-play Diablo-like game Path of Exile is coming to PlayStation 4 in December, which is a pretty big game and will, as far as I understand, feed that Diablo hunger that some of you might have. Now, Chris, let's move on to the new games this week. But before we do, mm-hmm. I want to just read a couple more comments that we got from Patreon. <laughs> Tyler Malter wrote into us and said, just want to say you guys are great. And you reading the drop each week is actually helpful to me. I don't play many games outside of the mainstream, but hearing the descriptions in the drop has led me to make at least three purchases so far. It is especially useful when VR games hit the store since they usually don't have large marketing campaigns. Keep up the great shows and I'll keep listening. Thanks for making Tuesdays great again. I'm curious as to what those games were. Me too. You should write back in and let us know, Tyler. And Wesley wrote into us and said, the more absurd the games, the better the drop section. I genuinely laugh when I hear Colin and Chris giggling a bit before reading their copy. Long may the absurdity continue. I agree with you there. Now, let me count real quick because I want to make sure about something here. Okay, one. So if it goes, you may, you may. Yeah, okay, perfect. For reasons unknown, I want you to start this week. Uh, Are you going to make me read a Japanese... You're going to be happy that you skipped out on another one by jumping on this screen. Uh, uh, all right. All right. I'll start off. 11-11, Memories Retold, comes to PS4. 
11th November 1916, a young photographer leaves Canada to join the Western Front in Europe. The same day, a German technician is told that his son is missing in action. Both want to preserve their humanity and come back alive to their loved ones. We'll find out all about that soon enough, I assume. By the way, Chris, I did want to throw in here, too, that we are no longer, or I am no longer writing in if these are off-day releases, because I don't think that's useful information to anyone. Yeah, that's fair enough. So I just wanted to let everyone know. I used to say if it's a Friday release or a Thursday release, because games usually come out on Tuesday. I'm leaving that out now, because by the time most people hear this, the games are out, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fair enough. Carnival Games comes to PlayStation 4 Retail. This is an interesting one, because you guys might remember, Carnival Games was a massive Wii game. Like, massive. Massive, massive, massive game. Like a real-life country fair, Carnival Games bursts with exciting minigames that you can play over and over. Classic minigames such as shooting basketballs, swish, and taking down unfriendly clowns, clowning around, are joined by brand new attractions like flying drone racing, light speed, and cosmic bowling, cosmic strike. With 20 total games, Carnival Games is a fantastic time for all. I never thought I'd see that game ever again. That game was the bane of my fucking existence <laughs> during the Wii era because it always charted. You guys might remember that. That game was like legit an MPD. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it Deracine or Deracine? I think it's Deracine. Deracine, right. but I I only took French for eight years, so what the fuck right. do I know? Deracine comes to PS4 at retail. Deracine is a brand new story adventure created by the renowned Bloodborne developer from software, available exclusively on PSVR. As a spirit in a secluded boarding school, the player must prove its existence and build a unique bond with the students. As the mystery of the story unfolds, the spirit must travel in time to change the fate of the pupils? It's a time-traveling ghost? I guess so. It's supposed to be pretty short. I yeah, don't know much PSVR more about game. it. We'll find out, I guess, more. I think reviews are out. I haven't read any of them yet. I don't really have that much interest in playing a PSVR game right now, to be honest. It's interesting that it's from software, though. It is. It is interesting. And it makes you wonder if that relationship is being cultivated nicely. And I can't believe that Bloodborne 2 wouldn't be in development as well. So my assumption is that it is, but we'll find out. Grip comes to PS4 at retail, harnessing gravity, defying physics alongside a bristling arsenal of outlandish weapons. Grip delivers the fastest, most competitive racing experience ever. Scale walls, ceilings, and anything else you can get your tires onto as you master tantalizing tracks, tricks, and uh, perform, I'm sorry, mind-blowing stunts to race your way across the cosmos. That sounds kind of neat. You know, a racing game where you can scale walls? Jagged Alliance Rage comes to PS4 at retail. Jagged Alliance is back with a new take on turn-based tactics, adventure elements, and well-known quirky mercenaries. (laughs) And the well-known quirky mercenaries, I'm sorry. Set 20 years after the first Jagged Alliance, this spin-off lets you experience a road trip into a jungle hell to test your mind and body to the limits! With an exclamation point. Yeah. This time, it's just you and a few allies versus an entire island ruled by a drug overlord? Yeah, drug overlord. I read that as drugged for a second. (laughs) A drugged overlord. (laughs) And his crazed army. Do you have what it takes to rise to old glory? I don't remember Jagged Alliance. I remember the name. I never played it. So I don't have any insight into it. Now, this is why I needed you to read it in a specific order. First of all, (laughs) this game was on the list last week. And what's hilarious about this is that they added an entire second paragraph to it. <laughs> this is the one I asked you to read. Yeah, yeah. Nekopara Volume 1 comes to PlayStation 4. Menaduki Cashew leaves a family-run traditional Japanese sweets wagashi shop and opens his cake shop, Le Soleil, as patissier. However, inside the luggage sent from the house was a mixture of human-like Nekos, Chocola, and Vanilla. This is what they've added. He tried to send them back, but their desperate appeal for his sympathy, Cashew went one step back. Eventually, Le Soleil had opened with a person and two Nekos. The heartful Neko comedy, with two Nekos doing their best while making some mistakes, is open for business. I'm more confused about what that game's about than I was last week, and apparently it's out this week, so we'll find out. (laughs) 
my god. Uh, Noir Chronicles City of Crime comes to PS4. Step into the shoes of Alfred Fox, a private eye with a knack for getting into trouble, and confront a danger looming over your old flame, Barbara Lepore. Using your own intuition and wide investigation techniques, you will follow the intrigue and face many sometimes deadly consequences. It's just one of those games that's just is coming out. I don't. I, I, it's just yeah. a name to me. Yeah. Owen. Oh, I'm sorry. Owen. <laughs> Owen of sorrow. Owen of sorrow. Dude, that would be an amazing cartoon name or something like that. <laughs> Omen of sorrow comes to PS4 retail. Not Owen. Omen. Clear your mind, clench your fist, and get ready for a wicked battle. Powered by Unreal Engine 4, Omen of Sorrow delivers a deep 2D battle system inspired by the classics, bringing back the edge, mindset, and philosophy rooted in the genre's arcade legacy, taking it to the next level with innovative features and fighting mechanics. Join the battle. Conquer darkness. (laughs) Oh, man. Owen. (laughs) Road Redemption comes to PS4. Road Redemption is an action-raising game where you lead your motorcycle gang on an epic journey of pursuit, blood, and speed. Through your travels, you will upgrade your character, bike, and weapons by completing races, assassinations, robberies, and more. That jumped real quick. It sounds cool. The Shapeshifting Detective comes to PS4 at retail. The Shapeshifting Detective is a supernatural noir murder mystery FMV game. Play as a detective and investigate the murder by shapeshifting into any character, even the next victim. Skytime comes to PS4. In Skytime, you are a scientist who lost their family in an avalanche and are trying to get them back. You have created a time machine, but it was missing one key component. Love. I'm just kidding. A reactor core to power it. You stole one from the evil private military company Mortech and are now being chased. Can you outrun them? I suspect you will be able to outrun them. Yeah, probably. Starbear Taxi comes to PSVR. A fast-paced VR-native title that really delivers. Race a spaceship taxi aboard Starship or Star Bear's tiny futuristic city to deliver busy bear passengers to their desired destinations. Bears got to be places too, you know. I like that whole write-up. Very well done. Yeah, it's good. I like the double entendre of really delivering. <laughs> Steel Rats comes to PS4. Wreck and ride in a visceral and groundbreaking evolution of the 2.5D action arcade genre. Fusing destructive, octane-fueled motorbike combat and death-defying stunt gameplay set in a visually stylized retro-future world. Switch between four characters, each with unique abilities, as you wreak havoc fighting deadly junk bots. (sighs) Okay. Siren comes to PSVR. Siren is an intense survival horror game in which you must use your wits to navigate through a labyrinthine underwater base. In episode one, you must use stealth and solve puzzles to survive, while in episode two, you must blast your way through the deadly swarm of sirens stalking you. And that's Siren, by the way, S-Y-R-E-N, in case you guys think it's the old Siren game. I don't think it is. Tetris Effect comes to PS4 at retail. Tetris Effect is Tetris like you've never seen it or heard it or felt it before. An incredibly addictive, unique, and breathtakingly gorgeous reinvention of one of the, world, one of the most popular puzzle games of all time. Fully playable on either a standard display up to 4K and 60 frames per second on a PS4 Pro, or optionally... In mind-blowing 3D on PSVR. That game is supposed to be excellent. Yeah, I haven't no, I, played yeah. it yet, but yeah, it's supposed to be very, very good. Tetris is the best game ever. So Tetris is excellent. The Forest comes to PS4. As the lone survivor of a passenger jet crash, you find yourself in a mysterious forest battling to stay alive against a society of cannibalistic mutants. Build, explore, and survive in this terrifying first-person survival horror simulator. That game looks fucking dope. By the way, really? if you guys haven't, yeah, if you haven't seen. The trailers for that game, what's basically what it basically is, is that you're dropped in this area, you're alone, there are no NPCs, and there are no instructions. Like you have to figure out how to survive, how to like build a little base and survive the nights as these things come and attack you. And 
It looks super cool. I'm, is this, was, I'm, this, was this in early access for a while? That I don't no? know because I don't play PC mm. games. I think it was already on PC. It's coming to PS4 this week. I think it might already be on PC. And I think it might have been already for a while, but it looks so good, dude. Like, I can't wait to play this game. I'm going to download it tonight if it's available. That's awesome. Yeah. Timber Tennis Versus comes to PS4. Take part in the annual Timber Tennis World Championships. Use your special skills, watch out for super shots, and collect prizes to beat all the rivals and reach the grand final. Unlock all the characters, including Princess, Hipster, Boxer, and many more. Favorite characters. <laughs> Hipster's Win- <laughs> my favorite character. Yeah. Win trophies and compete in local or online multiplayer mode with your friends. That's cool. Final game, Chris, is Transpose, which comes to PlayStation 4. Transpose is a dreamlike VR puzzle game, so I guess it's a PSVR game. I guess I was wrong. Set in a universe where time and gravity are used as tools to manipulate the world. By creating and working with looped recordings of their actions, players must solve increasingly complex physics puzzles in a mysterious setting where notions of space and time no longer apply. Ooh, Ooh. it's like a Christopher Nolan movie. Ooh. Whoa. Now, this was a pretty short week, Chris. Yeah. But I did want to end with six other questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas that I pulled from Patreon. Remember, you guys can support us at patreon.com slash Stand. Get the show ad-free three days early. Other perks from our other shows. And one of the perks you can get, depending on your level, is to submit on these threads I put in every week. That's how we communicate with you. Sakani Adabimpe wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris. As you may or may not have heard, there was a supposed leak surrounding Super Smash Bros. Ultimate that seemingly confirmed seven new fighters, but ultimately turned out to be fake after the announcements in yesterday's Direct. Gauging the reaction, it seems that many ultimately had mismatched expectations and ended up in disappointment in the end. This is in relation to my question. What are your thoughts on leak culture in video games, and do you find them to be ultimately detrimental to games' discussions? Additionally, do you prefer to be surprised at new game announcements or have knowledge beforehand? Especially given Colin's work at IGN and connections he's made over the years, I feel that perspectives from both of you would be much appreciated. Thank you both for your candid and fantastic work. So what do you make of leak culture? Obviously, there was these or were these robust theories that like the Grinch was going to be in Smash (laughs) Brothers and shit, which I would have bet good money would have never in a million years happened. So I don't know where people were getting that idea from, but like that's just weird. I love that one. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't understand. Watch, he's like the first DLC character, yeah. the Grinch. The what Grinch. a slap in the face to Waluigi that is. I know it's awesome to put the Grinch in. Everything is uh, a slap Churchill. in the face to Waluigi, who's like the only missing character. Yeah. But what do you make of leak culture generally? I think nerd culture generally embraces leak culture and gets excited about it. Obviously, people on the publishing and creative side don't like it very much. But are, are, do you get excited about these things? I can go like I'm really split between this because it's like I really do prefer to be surprised by something. I really prefer to go to an E3 or watch E3 and like have something dropped that I just wasn't expecting and like get really excited and get really happy that like, oh, look, there's still surprises to be had. It, we live in like a weird society right now where like. The Walking Dead is almost over, but like, hey, don't worry. Uh, Rick Grimes has three movies coming out. I saw soon. that. I'm like, and why, it's like, why dude? would you do that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Isn't he also? And I don't. I haven't watched Walking Dead in many years, so I'm not trying to spoil anything for anyone. And I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but isn't he dead in no. the show? He's alive. I thought he he's died. Still, no, he's still alive. Oh. But now there's like, he's got three movies. So like, who cares? Oh, I thought they were gonna be prequels or something. I, I mean, maybe, but <sighs> I don't know anything about it. I just look. Saw it I don't of- know. I when we live in this kind of weird ecosystem where nothing's really a surprise anymore, it is nice to still have those authentic surprises. Like, but. At the same time, I do get excited when I see like, ooh, what, what is that? Is that Sir Daniel Fortescue walking through the forest? What is that? I got to know what that is. So it really is a mixed bag, and I guess it really is dependent on what's being leaked and, you know, whether or not I care about it, to be completely honest. Sure. I can go either way. Yeah, I think that that's incredibly relevant. 
I respect that developers and publishers and creative types want to kind of control the message and make things as they are and kind of, you know, they have a plan. I mean, that was what was so disappointing, I know, to Activision and Bungie when Destiny leaked pretty much wholesale is that it destroyed their marketing approach and stuff, and it obviously didn't hurt the game's sales. I actually think these leaks often help, and I actually think these leaks are often, not often, but I think the leaks are sometimes intentional and that it builds kind of a, you know, an excitement about a product. And sometimes the leaks are woefully accidental, such as with Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I don't know if you remember how that was leaked. There was a guy on the train in Quebec in Montreal that worked at Square Enix that was working on a document on his laptop that had the huge logo on top of it and all the shit, and someone just took a picture of it. That's how Shadow of the Tomb Raider leaked. So that was obviously unintentional. But when you see things like screenshots and off camera footage and stuff, you, you kind of wonder, like, I remember when Red Dead Redemption 2's map leaked a few years ago, it obviously looks radically different than it does now, and I don't know if it's real, but you have to wonder, like, someone walked into Rockstar and took a picture of that in front of everyone, do you think that it's, like, part of the plan to be like, hey, by the way, you know, we got this game going on, we don't really want to say anything about it, we want you to email us and we're going to have no comment, it's going to keep yeah, us in the yeah. conversation for a little while, I think that there's a lot of it there, PR, knowing so many of these people, they're very wily and very smart men and women, and as I've said before, I think the next thing that they're going to start playing into, and I really believe this, is they're going to start playing into and triggering, and I hate using that word, but triggering intentionally games media. I think that they're going to start oh, doing yeah, things because yeah. they know. Outrage is a, is, is a really profitable it's, advertisement. It's currency. Yeah. No. And look at what Outrage did for The Witcher. And look at what Outrage especially did for Kingdom Come Deliverance and all these other games. I think they look at that and they're like, <laughs> we should absolutely try to, I don't want to say get on the bad side of some of these guys, but they're so much the same these game journalists all think and sound and act exactly the same that you know that you can push one of their buttons you can oh, yeah. push all their buttons and before you know it, you're gonna have all these articles about I, outrage and you know yeah no i i mean i <laughs> i bought kingdom come deliverance on pc i have not touched it but i bought it specifically because i remember seeing like a bunch of articles like slamming this guy and i'm like this is totally fine there's nothing wrong here what is what is this this is absurd so i just bought it and i never played it justin marks wrote into us chris and said hi colin and chris before Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, I was playing and enjoying the hell out of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, best on the, in the series that is typically grade A dookie in my opinion. But obviously with the former's large release, my efforts and desire to continue in Creed have been kiboshed, good use of the word, by some good old-fashioned rockstar goodness. My question for both of you is, in your time gaming, be it personally or professionally, have you ever played a game that you were otherwise enjoying but be completely derailed by the newest hottest thing only to have to come back to the original game to be difficult because it now has to live in the shadow of something more intricate and detailed? Also, Chris, Spider-Man is my first Platinum too, so congrats. Thank you both for everything you do and keep making Tuesdays great again. This happens to me all the time, although I don't think it's necessarily a quality issue. I think it's just that I just get far away from games like there are times where I know that I haven't played a game that I was playing for like a week or two and I'll put it on and play it for a half an hour just to remind myself how it feels and then shut it back off that way yeah I can go back to it I did that with Hollow Knight I and there came a point with Hollow Knight where I'm like I'm at the end of the game and I'm never gonna beat it and I actually forced myself to do it because I'm like it's such a waste of time so yeah it, it does happen yeah it happened with me uh, with uh, Horizon Zero Dawn I just got I started Horizon and I got just, I just got pulled away and then I I just couldn't gel back into it it happened a long time ago with me too. Fallout Three, like I was playing for a little bit, and I was—I I don't know what I expected because that was like my first experience with the Fallout game, and I was like, I like this world, but I'm not so sure about this. And then I got Bioshock, and I got sucked into Bioshock, and I finished Bioshock, and I went back to Fallout Three. And I was like, I, I don't know what I was doing. Uh, I'll pick this up in several years. <laughs> is basically what happened. That's my major issue: is that I just forget how to play games. Like you just forget yeah. how to play them, and. 
I'm afraid that's going to happen with Spider-Man now. I haven't played the DLC yet. I'd like to go back to that. That's why you really have to focus and kind of remain siloed from other games. I think typically when you're playing through something that's really robust and it requires a lot of time because there are so many distractions. Like with Dragon Quest XI, I just know I'm never going to go back to it. Or, or if I do go back to it, I'm going to restart it because... I'm 25 hours in and I just haven't played it. The same thing happened with Nino Kuni 2 earlier this year where I got 40 hours in. I was on the last chapter and then I abandoned it for some reason, I think for Detroit and some other stuff. And then I came back and I'm like, I have no, I have no idea how to play this game and what I'm supposed to do when you're so late in the game that you're supposed yeah. to really be a master at it. So I'm worried about that with uh, Red Dead if I stop playing Red Dead because there's so many like little uh, control intricacies in that game. It's it, like just the way you can um, aim your gun upwards to shoot in the air for like stick ups and stuff. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to forget how to do that. I just know I am because there's just there's so many like little things hidden in the control scheme. I punched my horse by oh, accident. Did you already? Did he already? Die? I forgot. No, he's fine. I'm on my third horse. I lost Clay Aiken. Oh, you did. He's, he's gone. gone. I don't know what the I don't know what happened to him. I, I, I just I went out one day and I I have a new horse. Probably got hit by a train. Probably. I get a little annoyed with the, well. I want to save a lot of this for the show, but I will the Red Dead Redemption two yeah, specific yeah. show we do, of course. But I do want to say just tangentially that Red Dead Redemption 2 bucks a lot of control conventions, which annoys the shit out of me. Like, you reload with a different way. I just wish that eventually these devs realize that there is a way that games are played. Like, there's a control scheme that makes sense. Yeah. X is jump, not square. Reload is square, not circle. You know, like like little things like that that I think that we just all have to agree upon. <laughs> like a convention, you know? It, it's, it's strange to me when I play a game like Red Dead and I'm like, why is every control scheme different than every other game? I think you're doing this just to be different. I really believe that. Because you jump with the X button in games. That's what you do. And you reload with the fucking square button. That's what you do. That's fair. And you run by either holding down the stick or maybe you hold down a face button. But let's not get crazy with it. Don't make me tap things. You know what? I'm getting down... A strange path. Let's just stop while we're at. <laughs> Tejotl. It's T-E-J-O-T-L. I think I'm saying that right. Okay. It says, hey guys, I was thinking about PlayStation Classic following the announcement of all 20 preloaded games. With a price tag of $100, I started wondering why wouldn't Sony do something different with their classic console and instead of doing a mini version, just do a rerun of the actual original hardware. I would imagine that manufacturing a PSX at this age would be cheap as hell and be much more modern, original, I'm sorry, than blindly following the trend of mini retro consoles. I'm just going to jump in here and say again, I understand everyone gives Nintendo credit for this. The mini and micro console, the all-in-one console, was not started by Nintendo. I do realize that adding HDMI support and onboard memory is an important factor of these things, but if that could read original PlayStation discs and support peripherals, I could see it being a much better deal even at a higher price point. Do you have any wishes or ideas how the mini console space could change or progress in the near future? I think the reason why you wouldn't see like a full-on like remake of a PS1 that plays discs is because that kind of inadvertently sends the message that you're not getting backwards compatibility. That's what that says. Like, if they did that and they're like, hey, you can play your PS1 disc on this thing, I'm like, oh, so we're just not going to be able to do that on the PS5. Yeah, presumably. Oh, so we're not going to be able to play PS1 games on, on the PS5. That's what you're saying When if you're selling a new machine for it. We already have a history of retro consoles, like uh, the NES. Classic has a bunch of games on it that you can play on the Switch now. There's kind of an understanding that a classic console doesn't come at the expense of... Uh, something else, like even Final Fantasy VII, which is on PlayStation Classic, but has also been remade, possibly, <laughs> with new graphics? Yeah, I we'll don't see. know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. But I, I just think that would be a bad idea. As much as I love the PS1 and I would buy that in a heartbeat instantaneously, I don't think it's a smart marketing move to that. To no, do that. I don't think it makes any sense, really. I like the question, yeah. but just then, think about then you it. Can't even because then they can't even sell PS1 games. Exactly. They're, they're, not, they're not being made anymore. They're not making Black Bottom games anymore. They haven't made... I think the last Black Bottom game of any note was 2003's Final Fantasy Anthology. It's been a long time since 
we've or that's actually final fantasy origins not final fantasy anthology and i think that we have to look at it through the lens of like yeah all right so it sounds cheap the components sound cheap but actually many of these components haven't been made in like 15 or 20 years and so you're gonna have to ramp up it's actually gonna be really expensive to ask foxconn or whatever these chinese manufacturers to be like hey we need component in and s video in we need this microprocessor that hasn't been useful in 20 years, we need like, and they're like, what are you talking? Like, we can't make those things. What we're instead going to do is put everything on a fucking USB drive, make a little plastic shell and sell it to you again. And so I think that the answer, the real answer would be somewhere in the middle. I think it would have been a very tantalizing thing for them to have released a PS1 classic that connects to the PlayStation store that you can just buy PS1 classics on. You could have literally said like, this thing comes with nothing. On it, or it comes with like Crash Bandicoot, Final Fantasy VII, Castlevania, yeah. and but gives you a library of like every right. PS1 classic. Connect via Wi Fi to this version of the PlayStation Store, and we are going to populate it with PS1 games, and we're going to release a PS2 that does the same thing. And maybe we enable trophies, maybe we do something clever. That way, you don't have to make a three or four hundred dollar investment if you just want to play these classics. If you do, maybe you connect your name, you can then play them on PS5. There was all sorts of ways that they could have done this in a clever way, but that would have that would have taken effort. And yeah. I don't know that looking at this catalog of games and I don't know that looking at this machine and when it's coming out, I don't feel like there was any real effort put into it. And I am certainly not excited about it whatsoever. I'm not going to buy it. If Sony again wants to send us one, then I'll check it out, but I'm not buying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just way too expensive also. This would have been fine for like 40, 50 bucks. Yeah. 50 bucks would have been a great price point. hundred dollars is absurd. Yeah. Completely absurd. Especially with that catalog. Angie's list is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Mitch G wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, did either of you guys ever play Monster Rancher? That series was my favorite when I was growing up with PS1. I know the disc swapping mechanic was a gimmick, but it gave me that loot box rush every time I put in a disc. I hope Tecmo can find a way to revive the series, though discs are probably not practical now, maybe with a mobile app to scan barcodes or something. Do you remember Monster Rancher? I do. A friend of mine had it. I, I was playing Digimon World at the time, so I just didn't really... It, it looked to me like, this is, this is just lame Digimon World. So, for people that don't know, Monster Rancher started on PS1. There were PS2 versions, and I think Game Boy Color versions. I yeah. think it might have even gone to PSP. But it stopped a while ago. Tecmo was the developer and publisher of it. Tecmo, of course, best known you know, for Ninja Gaiden and stuff like that. And it was a Pokemon-like simulation. It was almost like Harvest Moon-ish, but almost like Pokemon-ish, where you were kind of nurturing and evolving and kind of creating these various monsters in this ranch. And one of the cool gimmicks that he was referring to is that you could take real-life audio CDs and put it in the PS1 and read it. And it would give you like a monster with a special build or special skills or something. Yeah. I think I rented Monster Rancher once. I wasn't really into it. But the game succeeded enough, you know, for them to kind of follow up with it. And looking at the list of games now, there are actually two DS games and two Game Boy Advance games. So at least it went that far. Monster Rancher DS, I think, is the most recent release in the series. And that came out in 2008 and in 2010 in North America. So it actually came out here. So Monster Rancher is probably dead. Tecmo is now Tecmo Koe. They're dealing with other stuff. You know, their Musou obsession, you know, with the uh, Dynasty Warriors, obviously they're making Neo and all those kind of stuff. They never really had a huge reach. I don't know that Monster Hunter was ever big enough or Monster Rancher rather was ever big enough yeah. for them to follow up. But I remember that. I mean, anyone who grew up and remembers the PS1 era remembers those games. I certainly do. Two more questions, Chris. 
Zach Bryce wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, Tuesdays are fast becoming one of my favorite days of the week because of this show, MTGA. Well, you're very welcome, Zach. Anyway, this is going to seem strange, but when I listened to, I think, the 15th episode, Chris commented on Splinter Cell's asymmetrical multiplayer. It reminded me of Arkham Origins multiplayer, where two people would be Batman and Robin, and the rest would be either Joker or Bane's gang. Then I was thinking about other modes that have been innovating in multiplayer, and besides Battle Royale, I couldn't think of one. My question is, how could people, how come people don't ask for multiplayer modes to be as innovative as single-player campaigns, or have you reached the peak of what multiplayer can be, deathmatch and large-scale battles? Thanks again, guys. Keep up the great work. You have way more insight into this than I do. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to profitability. I think especially when you look at things like Evolve, which just did not do well at all. I think Evolve was just, it entirely missed the point of why people like Left 4 Dead. Left 4 Dead was such a fun game to just kind of put on and play and just pick up. And you didn't have to do all this prep and like, who's going to be a good trapper? Who's going to play this class the best? Oh, you got to stick to this role. It was, you know. Plus in Left 4 Dead, no one played the bad guy, right? It was all, everyone was on the same team. No, people, you could play as the zombies. Oh, you could, I thought it was only that you played as the. No, nah, the oh, okay. there was another team. Well, you could play it like as like more of like a horde mode, like co-op kind of like shoot all the zombies. I didn't but know like, that. Yeah, there was a versus mode where you could play as uh, special infected and it was awesome. And yeah, I mean, the Batman Arkham Origins multiplayer probably wasn't the most, that was a weird thing to me. I didn't really see the point in that. That was odd. But I think it really just comes down to the fact that, you know, especially in the current climate innovation in multiplayer doesn't necessarily make money it's it's all about like how often or how regularly you can keep people coming back and that's more to do with like new content and maybe like new weapons new skins uh, what fortnite's doing with uh, you know their season passes and like their constant free updates to the map and i think the innovation is going in more of a that direction where it's like what can we do to make the current uh, ecosystem of multiplayer more kind of dynamic as opposed to having brand new kind of gameplay systems between teams or like maybe um, more innovative in that style like I feel like it's just not what people are demanding and it's not what people are playing unfortunately I, I love those games uh, Left 4 Dead's one of my favorite multiplayer games ever I loved the asymmetric play in Splinter Cell but I don't know if we'll ever see that again unfortunately you know I take issue with something Zach said, Chris, though. He says that he wants there to be innovation in multiplayer. Why isn't there innovation in multiplayer as much as they've been innovating in single-player campaigns? And I just don't think there's almost any innovation in single-player campaigns these days. I think that playing Red Dead was so staggering because it is so much deeper and so much more robust and so much more alive than usual single-player campaigns. But when I think about the way a structured open-world game exists or a structured single-player narrative works. I don't see any innovations in there. I don't see any innovations in there at all. The open world games that we were playing 10 years ago are very similar to the open world games we're playing now. And that's always been my critique. And I really do feel it's like the old, I think Spielberg said it or someone where there's like seven stories. Like every movie is like, yeah, yeah, parameters, right. I really do believe, unfortunately, that there are only so many ways a game can be played. There are only so many perspectives. There are only so many styles and genres. There are only so many, you know, yeah. stories to be told. And I think that we kind of accept that and we play it over and over again with a little different seasoning and a little bit a different accoutrement on it. But I don't see that innovation happening in single player. I actually see the innovation. Battle Royale is a massive innovation in multiplayer yeah. that we haven't seen a seismic shift like that in single player in many years. Yeah, I would argue that the innovations are just in different places. I don't necessarily think that there's a lot of innovation in single player necessarily from what single player is, but I think the introduction of mocap and far more competent engines to tell. When you look at The Last of Us, like that, a game like that probably couldn't work on the PS1. Probably couldn't work on the PS2. Barely got out on the PS3. Right, you know and you're mean? not talking, obviously the game, those consoles couldn't run them. What you're saying is that there's just no option to even achieve something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like right. Just like tone and the level of 
detail, not not just graphically, but just like just a competently directed script. You know what I mean? Like we just didn't really have all that. But like even some of the, our favorite games from the PS One, Resident Evil is a great example, where just the the voice acting is horrendous. It does the game no favors. The, I feel like the atmosphere in that game and the control scheme really does a lot of heavy lifting in the original in the original Resident Evil. I'm because I was playing it recently on the Vita, and I was like, this is awful, but I'm still kind of scared. That's weird. Right. Yeah. The tank controls. It's so funny, man, because I don't think that people look at tank controls and the entire idea of these, you know, because Metal Gear felt the same way that it added drama to the game because you couldn't do what you really wanted to do. It's such a weird philosophy for game design. Well, it puts limits on you. Right. Exactly. It's actually kind of parallel to what we talk about with Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead Redemption 2 is Achilles heel if it has one is that it doesn't feel right. Like it's just everything about it's good, but it doesn't feel as tight as some of these amazing third-person action games. Yeah, I, I like that it doesn't feel as tight, specifically for that reason, because I feel like, oh, man, I don't want to get too into it, actually, because it's a Red Dead thing. We'll, we'll save that. Okay, we'll save but, it. But, yeah. Save it for the special Chris. But, yeah. Colin Statskowitz, who had the audacity to steal my name, has the final question, comment, concern, thought, and idea for us this week, Chris. Okay. He says, hey, Colin and Chris, thanks for all the hard work you all put into the show. You're very welcome. 500 hours. 500 hours. That is what we put into the show. A I am a, what we put in every week to playing video yeah. games. and Yeah, exactly. It's weird. I'm a lapsed gamer who hasn't played a game in well over 10 years, and I'm thinking about buying a PS4. For reference, the last games I remember playing is Resident Evil 4 and GTA San Andreas. So you're talking about 2004, 2005 is the That's last time. That's not too long played. ago. No. I only have time to play four or five hours a week and don't want to spend too much money on games if I don't have to. My plan is to start with older, cheaper games that I missed before moving on to new releases. I want to start with the Uncharted series and The Last of Us and would, and would appreciate any other suggestions that you all may have. I am looking mainly for single-player games. So I want to be clear that if you're looking to play four or five hours a week, getting through the Uncharted trilogy and the fourth Uncharted game is going to take you four months, five months. I think you have to... If you really are limited by that, I don't think these those are the games you should be playing. I really think that... If you're looking for single-player games, then Grand Theft Auto V would be a good place. Red Dead Redemption 2. I know that you want to go back and start there, but yeah, I'm having a hard time giving you suggestions if you're limited to literally 16 to 20 hours a month of game time. That's not... I mean, that's perfectly normal. But that's yeah. not a reasonable amount of game time to get into any back catalog. Although, you know what's tantalizing it for both of us? I don't know if you thought of that at this, Chris. Again, Resident Evil 4 is a 2005 game. GTA San Andreas came out in the fall of 2004. He missed Bioshock. Ah, that was, that was what I was going to say. I was going to say, you have to play Bioshock. So maybe that's a good place to start. Bioshock's a great game. I, I would argue if you have so little time, Bioshock might be tricky, just because I know it's tricky for me whenever I have to go back to like an RPG kind of like uh, like story-heavy game. I'd recommend Doom, because it is something that you can pick up and play, and just put down and come back to immediately, and it's fun, and it's not like overly complicated. It, it really just depends on what you like, and what kind of games you prefer. Like, if you're a gameplay-heavy guy, absolutely Doom. If you're interested in more of like kind of like an atmospheric kind of story driven kind of thing i would say the last of us only after you've gone through bioshock because bioshock is a fantastic game that i think everybody should play it's a benchmark to me and yeah you'd be be missing out if you didn't play bioshock that's a great suggestion i think bioshock's a great suggestion that's where we're going to start because colin i mean again four to five hours a week 16 to 20 hours a month that is bioshock bioshock will take you 15 to 20 hours to beat if you're playing it thoroughly so there's your first month right there. Go play Bioshock. And if you're going to buy it on PS4, you can get it, I think, in the Bioshock collection, which also comes with 2 and Infinite. Yeah, and Burial at Sea, I believe. And Burial at Sea, which is great DLC. So you'll have lots of different options if you want to kind of continue in that ecosystem. Really fantastic games. And and from right around the period in which you stop playing games, just right after that. So we hope that suggestion is good for you. Yeah. Now, Chris, this was a light week. I mean, the episode's already over. 
Yeah. So. It's a quick one. It was a quick one. It was only it's only gonna be about an hour and a half. We're sorry about that. We know you we we know you guys like when we go long, but we can't force there to be news. And I fear that news is just gonna be a little light for the rest of the year. So we're gonna get in, get into some of the games we're gonna be playing. We're gonna be doing some special episodes like we said. Yeah, the Red Dead Redemption two, coming up. Uh, Red Dead Redemption two episode. Right, yeah, exactly. I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's gonna be great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited to play the forest, dude. You gotta look at the trailer for that game. Yeah, I'll definitely look it up. It really, really looks cool as hell. I like the idea of awful name. The forest, yeah, it's very awful vague. name because it reminds me of like slender almost. Oh. Like that's what it, like when I saw, when I saw that I was like, oh, that's like a slenderman kind of like horror game where you pick up notes off trees and you get scared <laughs> by static. Gets yeah. that's that's actually sound like a cat hiss. That's it's, it's staticky. Yeah, that's all right. It's like that was bit. everywhere back in like 2012. Jesus, I know 2011. I couldn't afford, couldn't avoid it. But it's horrendous. I'm excited to play it. I don't know. I like the idea. Not always. Because I actually had this similar problem with another game, Hyper Light Drifter, which I thought was too vague. Mm-hmm. There's a point of vagueness in games where I'm like, I just don't find this fun. But I like the idea of saying, like, you know, it seems like there's a day-night cycle. You've crashed here. The sun is setting. You better look around and figure out yeah. what you're going to do. There's no help. It sounds quite tantalizing to me. So I don't know if it's going to play out. But, you know, between that and Red Dead, we'll have a, a much to talk about next week. And yeah. are you going to continue with anything interesting or just kind of kind of Red Dead and Vita? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm typically just like playing the Vita every night until I like pass out <laughs> is, is how, pretty much how it's gone. Definitely going to continue on with Red Dead. I have to keep an eye on Fallout because like, I, I, when, when's Fallout 76 coming out? I think the end of October, but we should get our end copies of- sooner than that. I think it's October 26th, something like Octo- that. Oh, I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, Yo, I'm sorry. that... Fuck no, me no, up. November, November 20th. I Look. thought I was having like an aneurysm. I thought all my brain, I, I thought Sorry. all of my blood. That's, my, that's totally my fault. I thought all of the blood in my body coagulated at once. And that, like, I was like having like a serious stroke. It's I'm like, glad you caught it because people say and do things like that sometimes where I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And then the audience is like, what are you like? <laughs> so at the end, of, end of November, November 14 is when it comes out. Oh, okay. So that's not, oh boy. And I've, I've already talked about Bethesda, so we should be getting copies. I don't know when, but we will. I mean, the beta just wrapped up, I think. So they're probably, you know, yeah, they're probably getting everything all. I'm excited for that for the same reason that uh, I think uh, you're kind of looking into the, uh, the forest. I like the vagueness of it. I like the lack of NPCs, honestly, but I also kind of tempered my expectations for that. Mm. I feel like a lot of people really got swept away and like, didn't really pay attention to what they were saying. Yeah. Which is a shame because like my expectations are where I think they need to be. I'm just I just hope it runs well. Me too. I've heard fewer negative things the longer the beta sessions have gone on. I will say that's that. that's true. It appears like they have been like doing a lot to fix it. I I heard there was this one thing where like players' speed, his movement speed was tied to the frame rate, which was like a weird thing to do. <laughs> Because yeah. that means if you obviously if you bumped it up to sixty frames, people would be zooming across the map. That's true. They would, they must have just done that to make sure that the frame rate wasn't being exposed at that low frame. You know, they'll probably remove that. Yeah, probably. I think they said something about fixing it, but yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Hopefully, I can get through enough of. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna plow through Red Dead. I, I like I have to. It is a wonderful time to be a gamer, unless you are a Diablo fan. I hope you guys all enjoyed. This episode of Sacred Symbols, remember, you could support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Doing so gets you early access. Exclusive episodes. We just put up an exclusive. We have a few exclusive episodes of Sacred Symbols. Yeah. They're actually that are about different things. Chris's gaming taste. I love that episode. I did one with just the Q&A where I didn't get to read all the questions we've gotten. So I've gone into those. And we have a lot of exclusives over there. Remember, you can support us over there and submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas that may be read on the show. 
early ad-free access to every show, et cetera. We really do appreciate you. We're driving towards 5,000 patrons and, and beyond. We hope we can reach and surpass that number with your help. So thank you so much for that. Chris, thank you for your time. Of course. Appreciate you. Appreciate all you guys out there, whether you listen on free feeds or on Patreon. Remember, leave us nice reviews if you listen to us on free feeds. And we'll see you next week for more Sacred Symbols. Goodbye. Take care, guys. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Jason Camargo, Luis Cancato, William O'Carroll, Matthew Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amore, Daniel Delanikos, Travis Depew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fontana, Fodios Frangos, Connor Gazian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, David S. Graham, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Asa Haas, Azan Isa Al Raisi, Josh Yeager, Paul Joyce, Greg Julifs, Jeremy Key, John Klott, Kevin Komaki, Taylor Christian Laudrin, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastuka, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Anthony Lencioni, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxson, Brendan Peavy, Marius Scarson Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, A. G. Rowe, Matthew Savoy, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Toby Schutman, Riley Smith, Gerard Stewave, Stephen Summingit, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Dan Vale, Adam Van Kuren, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dade Michael, Edward Went, Mike Wayant, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Mad Mock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Richter86, Dav9834, Chris, Wyatt Henry, Donk2015, and Random Guy Radio. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.